God's, God's word is holy and infallible. It is the word of eternal life. And in order to honor God's word, as we turn to Luke 4, we'll stand as we read. Let's stand and read, if you stand if you're able, to read Luke 4 as we read together verses 1 through 13. This is God's holy word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be all yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Our beloved God, we pray that you would help us to receive and to believe this your holy word. And that we would be those who are strengthened by this, your word, to flee temptation, to be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. When two kingdoms go out to war, and they're facing each other in combat, they have their armies all arranged upon the battlefield, Before they go at it, there has been in history a time where they would select a champion, one champion on each side, and then the the two champions, the most mighty warriors on each side, would fight out. They would fight it out so that if one won, that uh, they would say they would declare that army victorious. So therefore, you didn't have to have hundreds or maybe even thousands of people all fight in battle and die and have a big bloody mess. It was just a a battle between two uh, champions or warriors. And that's sort of the thing that we have going on when Goliath was facing David. He said, let me be the champion of the Philistines and bring your best man. And if I win, you become, you all become our servants. And if, if he wins, then we'll be your servants. Well, you know how that story ended. And the Philistines didn't, they didn't bow down and submit to the Israelites and become their servants. They ran and fled, and so many of them died. They didn't even keep their promise on that champion arrangement. But I want you to notice that that concept is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in today's text, that he is God's champion 
for those who have faith in him. He is God's champion for those who have faith in him. Um, in Luke 3, uh, 21 and following, Jesus was baptized as an inauguration of his holy office as the Christ, the, the anointed one, the Messiah. And uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him to enable him, especially in his human nature, to, to do that work. And we see here in today's text that the Holy Spirit is guiding him along in that, in that work and in that mission. He's guiding him to face that temptation of the evil one. If you remember back, the whole source of all our trouble in this world is because of the failure and the sin of our first representative. So Jesus' first mission as Messiah is to go back to the beginning and undo what Adam failed in doing. As we look at today's text, you must see that the scripture is to be your utmost tool to resist and overcome temptation. You must use scripture to resist and overcome temptations. We'll look at this in two main points. The first is the reason Jesus was tempted by Satan. And secondly, we'll look at, like Jesus, use scripture to face temptation. Let's look at this first main point. The reason Jesus was tempted by Satan. Verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, some might say, well, I know the reason why Jesus was tempted uh, in, by Satan. It's because the Holy Spirit led him to be tempted. Well, that's the means by which Jesus led himself um, to be tempted by Satan in order to fulfill his office as holy apostle. Um, well, you, there's another passage of scripture written there in your outline, uh, Hebrews 4.15. It says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, Hebrews 4 here does tell us many things that are accomplished by Jesus in him going and facing temptation by the evil one. Through this, Jesus, you could say, became uh, our great sympathetic high priest. If Jesus didn't undergo the temptation of Satan, he wouldn't have become a sympathetic high priest, but he was tempted in every which way that we were, yet without sin. That's why, because he shared that human nature with us, that's why we have such a a glorious sympathetic high priest. And through Jesus successfully facing such temptation and doing so without sin, we can have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace. But that is ultimately not the main reason why Jesus had to face the evil one. To find out, I want us to look at another passage, 1 Corinthians 15. It does a compare and contrast. Again, it's there in your outline, uh, verses 45 and 47. It says that the first man, Adam, 
became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy, or some translations would say earthly, and the second man is from heaven. So you have this concept, the first Adam, the natural. You have the second Adam, the supernatural. You have the first Adam from earth, and you have the the second Adam from heaven. But this first Adam, as our covenant head, you could say our would-be champion, failed. And when he was tempted by the devil, and this brought sin into the world, the whole world itself became corrupted by sin. The whole earth became corrupted by sin. Our sinful natures came into being, whereby our hearts became um, prone and even, you could say, totally depraved apart from God's grace. Jesus came as the second Adam, the new covenant head, the new champion for God's people. And think about this. Would you have rather face Satan in these temptations, or would you have rather your champion face Satan in these temptations? And I'm sure glad I have a champion, a sinless, holy, pure, undefiled son of God. God made flesh to face Satan on that, in that temptation, in those three temptations. Because honestly, none of us would have withstood it. But we have this great Jesus Christ, our holy champion, who did. He had to be tempted by the devil to fulfill his role as the second Adam, our new representative. So Jesus came to accomplish all that the first Adam failed to do. Adam capitulated. He gave in to the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ was victorious over the devil. Adam did not heed God's commands. Jesus obeyed God's commands perfectly his entire life. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed the Father his entire life, even though he was tempted in every which way that we were. God required Adam to give what we call perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience. Perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience to fulfill what we would call the covenant of works. That's a a theological doctrine known as the covenant of works. Now, in knowing why Jesus came to face these same temptations here, the answer is given in noticing something we would describe as the active and passive obedience of Christ. The passive obedience of Christ is Him on the cross suffering God's just and holy wrath for the sins of the elect. That's not all that Jesus came to do. Shortly before his death, Dr. J. Gresham Machen dictated a final telegram to his colleague, Professor Murray, and he knew that he was dying. He said this, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. And there's an article, uh, I'm giving you a quote here. It's from a 2006 article from the New Horizon. And it, it mentions here the key of understanding what he meant. And in an earlier radio address, Machen said this, If Christ had merely paid the penalty of sin 
for us and had done nothing more, we should be at best back in the situation in which Adam found himself when God placed him under the covenant of works. In other words, you're forgiven, but you're, you're back where Adam started. God's still expecting and demanding perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. And that's why Jesus had to face all these temptations. That's why Jesus had to fulfill the ceremonial law perfectly. That's why Jesus had to be sinless as a new representative, a new champion, wherein our first champion or representative failed miserably. That's why Christ's active and passive obedience is something that we should hold dear to us. Uh, Martin Luther talked about it as a great exchange. Jesus Christ took our sin on the cross, but he also gave unto us his perfect obedience. That's the active and passive obedience of Christ. But how was, again, Jesus Christ victorious in these temptations? Let's look at our second main point. Like Jesus, you are to use Scripture to face temptation. Now, it would be wrong for me to say, if you face temptation, use Scripture, because that's the wrong question. It's when, or I guess it's more not, not a question, but a mandate. When you face temptation, you are going to face temptation. Because of the sin of our first parents, and because of our a state of being in a condition of sin and misery, you're also in a condition of being perpetually tempted. If you have a pulse, if you have bre- breath within you and you're breathing, you're going to be tempted. But how do you face those temptations? There are uh, three temptations that Jesus faced that he was victorious over, and we'll look at these three temptations that Satan used in hopes of making our Lord stumble. Let's look at this first one. When Jesus had not eaten for 40 days, he said, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, the devil here is trying to take advantage of Jesus' weaknesses, his weakness and hunger. It doesn't say he was weak, but I guarantee you if you were not eating for 40 days, you, you, would, you would feel some weakness, weakness and hunger. And he's going to try to do the same for you. When you're going through health troubles, when you're going through financial troubles, when you're tired, or in the case of husbands and wives, when you withhold yourselves from one another for a, a long period of time, you're putting yourselves into greater temptation. It's like a wolf or a leopard who's seeking after some of the flock. What do they do? They don't go after the big, the big uh, ram or even the large um, animals, the large sheep. They go after the little ones. They go after the weak ones. They, they go after the one with the limp. And that's what Satan does. He goes after those who are in an episode of weakness as he tried to attack the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't say this to scare you. I say this to be on your guard. Be aware of his brutal tactics. Jesus answered this temptation in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And there he's citing Deuteronomy 8, 3. 
Now, since tempting Jesus with food did not work, um, Satan then tries to entice him with the power or the authority of the world. Look at verses 5 through 7. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be all yours. Now, I don't think Satan is making up something here, because elsewhere in Scripture, Paul uh, talks about Satan as being the God, little g, of this world. He's the one who has been given power and authority in this world. And when Jesus comes on the scene, why is he there? He's there to smash and to wreck the work and the kingdom of the evil one. And he's establishing his kingdom, which will prevail over the kingdom of the evil one. So this temptation, which Christ is being given here, you could say, we don't know this in particular, but maybe a temptation that Christ could have faced here was that I could get glory and honor here on earth without facing the cross. But why in the world would Jesus want the honor and glory of earth when he could have the honor and glory of all heaven and all creation? Um, I, I find it peculiar too that he expects, Satan expects Jesus to prove himself if you are the son of God. Oh, you really need to prove yourself to me. I don't think Jesus really cared what Satan thought, if he really believed, but we know Satan knew it, but it's really just a, a test or temptation. Verse 8 says how Jesus, uh, he's, here he's using Deuteronomy 6.13, answering Satan when he said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was not going to follow any scheme by Satan that would cause him or demand him to bow the knee unto Satan. Look at verses 9 through 11 for Satan's third attempt to tempt our Lord Jesus. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels uh, concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, according to one scholar I was reading, they said that the highest point that you could have fallen from the top of, of that uh, Temple Mount um, would have been about 450 feet. That's a long way down. That was a valley down below on that Temple Mount. And here we find Satan twisting Scripture, namely he's twisting Psalm 91 to try to get Jesus to sin. Now, is it really a valid, temp a valid interpretation of Psalm 91 that you're going to act in any rash, foolish, dangerous way and expect God to deliver you? I don't think so. David in Psalm 19.13 said this when he prayed to God, Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Now for Jesus to say, well, okay, I'm going to cast myself down off this temple mount, 450 feet down. That would have been presumptuous, wouldn't it? 
And that would have been putting the Lord to presume upon something is to put someone to the test, you could say. And that's why Jesus answered him in uh, Luke four twelve. It is said, instead of saying it is written, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And here he's quoting Deuteronomy six sixteen. Notice this. In all three temptations, Jesus used Scripture to be victorious over the devil in these matters. You must do the same. Not only did Jesus use Scripture, he used all three passages from Deuteronomy. I don't know, I think maybe we need to study more of Deuteronomy, shouldn't we? But notice another issue is that when being tempted, you must, you must resist the misuse of Holy Scripture. Um, that means Scripture being pulled out of context or Scripture misapplied. And you will face this, not when, but you will face this, that you will meet men, women, and young people who will try to misuse Scripture, twist and turn it, sometimes really because maybe they, that's what their pastor taught them. Their interpretation is kind of twisted because someone taught them a twisted interpretation. And they might not mean well, but in many cases, people give you the wrong interpretation of Scripture, and it's not for your good. It's for your detriment. So that's why I believe that we have to be careful to seek and let Scripture interpret Scripture. If you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you, you would not let someone tell you to do something presumptuous and foolish based on just one verse of Holy Scripture, namely Psalm 91. Now Paul, he cited a condition where it happened as well during his lifetime that people, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> Peter, it's Peter, cited Paul and his writings as a case. And this is, uh, this is from Second Peter 3.15, wherein Peter says this, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, also, as also in all his letters, speaking in them, of things in which some are hard to understand. You find Paul hard to understand at times? Even Peter did. But notice this. Here's what happens. In which the untaught and unstable distort, you could say twist, as they do the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. The twisting and the manipulation of Scriptures is, wasn't just by Satan. It was by people in the churches during Paul and Peter's day as well. Beware of that. But remember, we must be a people of the book. When we face temptation, may God grant you the grace to always be willing to say, it is written. It is written in Holy Scripture. And quote Scripture. Remind yourself of Scripture. When someone's tempting you to do something that's not right, quote to them the Holy Scripture. You must use Holy Scripture to resist and overcome temptations over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And again, the question is not if you will be tempted, but when you will be tempted. Again, the reason Jesus faced Satan in the first place to be tempted by him is to serve us those in Christ, who serve Christ, who believe in Christ, who have faith in Christ, 
He came to serve as our great champion, our new representative to fulfill all that that first Adam failed in doing. But secondly, like Jesus, you are to use Scripture in facing temptation. Use Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Write it down. Keep it on you. Keep the Bible on your phone. Keep the Bible wherever you can. Seek to use Holy Scripture in every problem that you face in this life. Let's pray together. We thank you, our beloved Lord. We thank you that you gave us Jesus Christ, who was victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we pray that you would help us to embrace him by faith, that we would trust that he not only died for our sins, to wipe us clean from that filth of sin, but that he perfectly obeyed and gave you that perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience that you demand. And we thank you that his obedience can be counted and reckoned and considered ours by faith. Help us, we pray, to grow in our assurance that we are yours by having a steadfast faith, both in Christ's active and passive obedience. And, O oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to grow in facing temptations, that we would always have it upon our lips to say, it is written in Holy Scripture. Help us, we pray, to learn your word, to have access to your word at all times, and to use your holy word that we may face and stand in those days of temptation. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, um, I'm going to ask Denise to play it through because it's not that familiar. 401, Holy Spirit of Messiah, we're going to sing uh, stanzas 5 through 7 this time.